Thank you, Gerda. <clears throat> well, again, good morning. Welcome to uh, Bergen Park Church. That's where you are today. If you were confused in any single way, uh, we are glad you're here. Hey, let me share a little bit about what we're doing and, and how God has been at work at Bergen Park and what's coming up. You know, last Sunday we made an announcement and many of you were uh, excited to respond and to sign up in our I'm In list. If you did not do that last week, uh, I'd encourage you to, as you head out on the left-hand side, there's a couple of lists there and it simply says I'm In. Now, for some of you, you need to know what you're in for, so l- let me let you know. Now, what's happening is is God has been moving through Bergen Park. He's been doing that from the beginning. God is always alive and at work in his people, and where he is, there you're going to find growth. Well, what's happening now is that growth is starting to show up, and it's showing up in you and us, and together we need to begin to move towards two services. And so what we need is we need individuals who are willing to say, hey, I'm in. What that means is we're a family together. And if we're going to reach this community in Evergreen, it means each one of us has to pick up some aspect of that service. Not because we are volunteers, but because, as we're going to discover today, we are servants. You with me? You don't sign up to volunteer. What you do is you express your identity as a servant, and you find an area where you can say, God, uh, how can you use me in a way that's going to demonstrate your love, your grace, your power, that's going to meet the needs of others. And so we need you to help us as we move towards two services to begin to meet the needs of the people that God is sending. I think we've said this each week that every person that walks in these doors, we see them as family. Now, if your grandma's coming to your house, you know you're going to prepare the house. You're going to get things ready. You're going to make sure she has a place to park. You don't want her parking down the street. Instead, you're going to move your cars. You're going to be in a place where she comes in. You want everything set so that when she walks in, she knows she's loved, cared for, and appreciated. And that's the way we want to treat every single person that walks in. And so as we do that, that means each one of us looking around and saying, how can I make an impact? And how can I serve in a way that's going to demonstrate the love of God to others? So here's the announcement. Uh, We're going to begin two services on September 30th. September 30th. So that's two, three Sundays away. I think today's the 9th, the 16th, 23rd, 30th. And so if you will, uh, when you walk out today on that left-hand side, would you sign and let us know if you're willing to help us uh, to begin to serve the people that God is going to send. Now, the service times are going to be 9 and 11. The reason we're going to set them for 9 and 11 is one of the things we value at Bergen Park is our fellowship. We don't want to lose the opportunity to connect with each other. And sometimes when there's two services, one of the difficult things is you don't know where people are. And what we're going to encourage you to do is if you come to the 9 o'clock, stay late. You want to come to 11? Come early. It's an opportunity in that one-hour period for us to connect, to see people we love, to care for each other, and to continue to build those relationships. So September 30th, 9 and 11. And what you're supposed to say is... I'm in. Because <laughs> we need your help. So September 30th, be praying for that. Uh, allow us to know that you're committed with us. And together, as God guides us, uh, we can accomplish this together. Hey, listen, uh, today we're starting a new series. And so if you want to grab a Bible, you can find one in front of you. You can turn on your phone and go to Matthew chapter 28. 
In Matthew 28, we're going to be looking at verses 16 all the way down to verse 20. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And we're beginning this series today, and it's called Everyday Mission. That mission is not something we turn on, because it's not something you can turn off. Mission is not an event. It's not a destination. It's not a place we go to. It's not something we simply raise money for. Rather, mission, in a sense, is who we are, and it's what every day is for us, that we are to live our life every single day on mission. Now, what does that look like? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. And pick it up in verse 16. There it is. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, as we come before your word, I want to ask, Lord, that Lord, this wouldn't just simply be a time we've set aside to gather in church, but Father, rather, would we recognize through the power of the Spirit, we are the church. Father, as we gather, your presence is here. You tell us where two or three are gathered, you're in the midst of them, and you are here, Father, so that through us you may manifest your presence, your character to the people we live around in this community and evergreen throughout this area. Father, thank you that you have chosen us to be your instruments to work through. Today, Lord, would you inspire us as we study your word? Would it come alive in our hearts, giving us a vision Father, of who you are, and because of that, who we are, that we could let go of some of the things in life that seem way too important and say, Lord, I want to serve you, and I want you to work through me. And so, Father, guide us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's a big challenge I've got to overcome today. You ready? Here's the big challenge, and it's not just a challenge of overcoming myself, but rather a definition of what the church is that often when we think of the church, we think of the medieval church. Now, you don't realize that, but you do. Because, see, in the medieval times, church became a location. Church became an event, became a time, a place that you went to. It became a building. The church was not seen as the people of God. Rather, church became an hour on Sunday morning. See, the church is not an event. The church is who we are. And see, where the church is, there God is. And that doesn't mean that God is certainly here on Sunday morning, but wherever we go, the presence of God goes with us. And so as we talk about everyday mission, we're going to be unpacking what that means for us to live as the church. Because whether we want to be the church or not, when you put your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the church. And where that temple goes, where that church goes, God goes, what we need to do is to make sure that when we go out into the world, we know how God has called us to live, to act, to see ourselves in the right way. You know, one of the confusions I often find for many Christians is often Christianity is more about what we do than really about who we are. See, Christianity loses its power when it becomes about what we do and we forget who we are. Now, here's the beauty of the Christian life. 
Who you are isn't based on what you've done. See, who you are is based on who God is and what he has done. See, my identity as a person isn't based on my failures or my success. It's not based on how good I am or how bad I am. Rather, my identity is based on my faith in Jesus Christ. And see, if God is my father and he has adopted me, therefore I am his child. Now, sometimes I'm a rotten child. (laughs) Sometimes I'm a disobedient child. Sometimes I'm a wayward child, a child whose heart is not focused on the father and his love and honoring him. Rather, it's focused on what I want. Sometimes I'm disobedient just like a normal child. But see, I'm still a child because my doing, my disobedience and my obedience doesn't make me a child. In the same way that your kids, when your kids act up, you don't cast them out of the house. Instead, as a father, you love them more. Maybe they get more attention, more of your energy and time because that's who they are. And see, if we understand who we are as God's people, then our behavior will start to follow our identity. And our behavior will follow our identity because, see, we're fixed on who God is. And if I know that God's my father and I know that he has loved me and I know I'm his child, then, see, I don't have to just simply learn how to live as God's child. I'm going to live out of the experience of being God's child. And so the church is more about who we are than simply what we're going to do. And so as we walk through this series, what we're doing is laying down a foundation of, of who we are in Christ and then asking, okay, what does that mean? How do we actually live that out in the world? Now, today, I want to ask three questions. The first question is this. It's kind of simple. What is God's vision? You know, every organization has a mission. They have a vision. Well, what's God's vision? What's his preferred future? And then second, we need to ask the question, how did Jesus accomplish that that vision? In his life, his death, his resurrection. And then finally, who are we? Because see, God has a vision. Jesus has accomplished his mission. But now, Because of that, based on what God's vision is, who are we? And then how do we live this out in the world? So turn with me, if you will, to Habakkuk chapter 2. In Habakkuk chapter 2, we see a picture of the future that God is leading us towards. See, actually, if I kind of opened up, lay a foundation in Genesis, and you don't have to turn there, go to Habakkuk 2, but in Genesis, we see a picture of God's authority being over all things. That God's presence was over all that he had created. And God said, it is good. It is very good. And see, because God was over all things and His all of creation, including us, was under his authority, it meant that we were right with God. And see, when you're right with God, here's what happens. You get right with each other. Because when you're right with God, you get right with each other. But then you also get right with creation. Because see, when God's over all things, it's called shalom. It's peace. When I'm right with God, I get right with my wife, I get right with my work coworkers, I get right in my relationships. But not only that, I get right with all of creation, meaning work, money, all of the things that are around me. See, what happened is when sin came into the world, God's authority, his presence, was no longer over all things. Instead, all things fell into rebellion. And so watch this in Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at the vision that he's saying God is leading us towards in the future. He says, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. Now, listen to what he's describing. He's saying the earth will one day, he's describing a future reality that has not yet taken place, but will one day come to pass when God's presence 
will fill the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth right now as the waters cover the sea. Now, how do the waters cover the sea? They saturate the sea. The sea is the waters. And he's saying a day is coming when God's presence is going to saturate all things. Where you do not have to say, hey, God is here and God is here and God is here and God is here. Hey, God, I found God over there. Rather, God is going to be everywhere because God will saturate all things. Now, the Apostle Paul described it this way. In Philippians chapter 2, he said, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow on heaven and on earth and every uh, thing under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the key to the glory of God the Father. Habakkuk saying one day God's glory is going to cover all things. And Paul's saying one day when Jesus returns, God's glory is going to cover all things. And we're going to be saturated once again with his presence. Now, why is that good news? Why, why is that good news? And why is that uh, future something that we need to understand? Because, see, God wants us to live in light of where history is headed. That when we see what God's preferred future is, what's going to happen when Christ returns, he's saying to us, we need to live to look today in light of what is coming that we live today in light of what God is going to change when he comes back. And see, when he comes back, his presence is going to be over all things. And when God's presence is over all things, our marriages get right, which means we need to start getting our marriages right today because, see, that's what's going to happen when Christ returns. We need to get our relationships right today. We need to get our heart right today. Why? When God comes back, there's going to be no room for bitterness, no room for anger and hatred, no room for injustice, because the old order of things, as it says in Revelations, has passed away. Revelation, not shuns. You probably caught that because you guys are quick. Be no more crying, no more pain, for those things have passed away. Behold, God has made all things new. See, when God's presence covers all things, it makes all things right. So let me ask you, if that's the preferred future that God is taking us towards, if God's presence showed up right here, what would he need to get right in you? You know, there are things that we don't want to deal with. I, I know that. Just because I stand up here doesn't mean my life just rotates around Jesus perfectly. I know you think that, right? Perfect marriage, totally sanctified kids. House, there's no arguments, no challenges, no fear in this heart. No, because perfect love drives out fear. I know that. No, see, when God's presence comes, what he does is he starts to show us things in our life that needs to get right, that needs to come under his authority. There's things that we hold on to. And you say, hey, I'm going to do sex my way. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do money my way. I'm going to do relationships my way. But see, when God's presence covers all things, we have to make a decision. Am I going to submit myself to his authority or am I just going to do things my way? Well, you know what he says? If you want to do things my way, he, said, he will say to us, I never, I never knew you. I don't know if you know that story. There's a, kind of a scary picture in the New Testament where there's servants that are saying, hey, didn't we do this in your name? And didn't we do this? And didn't we do this? And didn't we do this? And what Jesus says is, but I never knew you. See, what does it mean to come into God's presence? It means to know him. That the evidence that we have accepted him is that we, we know God. And see, God is taking us towards a day when his presence is going to cover all things. And when it covers all things, it makes all things right. And so today, what would it look like if we began to live in a way as if God's presence was covering everything? 
Because you know the reality is, it is. Because his presence is now at work in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it is the very presence of God that is dwelling and working in us. See, what is God's vision that one day his presence will cover all things? The next question is, how did Jesus accomplish that? And what does that look like for us? Well, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. Colossians 1, 27. And Paul said it this way, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory. The glory of this mystery, which is, and here's the key word, it's Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Let me read that again. To them, God chose to make known among the Gentiles how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That through faith in Jesus, it's now Christ that dwells in us. And see, notice the name that Jesus receives as Paul describes him. He calls him the hope of glory. Jesus is the glory of God. See, that's an amazing concept because it means that Jesus is the fullness of God. Jesus is the very presence of God. God's glory really means God's truth. Because see, wherever God is, he is there in fullness. He is, he is there in glory. That there's no uh, question about his character, no question about his nature. When God shows up, God shows up in his completeness. There's no confusion. See, sin is to fall short of God's glory. It's to distort who God is. And often that's what the church does. We distort to the world really who God is by the way we live. That when we don't love the way that God has called us to love, it's a distortion of his glory. It's not just that the church looks bad. It's that we who represent God, God's glory looks bad. To sin is to fall short of his glory, not to represent who God is. And sometimes, I'll tell you, in our own lives, I think we suppress his glory. Meaning we know what the Bible says, but that's not for me. Or maybe that verse isn't as important. And there's things we take out of Scripture because we don't want to submit ourselves to God's authority in his presence. But see, the beautiful picture of the gospel is that when we put our faith in Jesus, the fullness of God now dwells in us. You remember that preferred future we talked about? One day, God's presence is going to cover all things. See, in Jesus and in what Jesus Christ has done and through faith in Jesus, Jesus Christ now dwells in you. So let me ask you, when you go to the store, who goes with you? When you go to school, who goes with you? In your marriage, who is there with you? Wherever you go, the presence of God is with you, that you take God's presence everywhere you go. You see what God's doing through us? One day he's going to saturate all things with his presence, but right now he wants to saturate all things through you with his presence. Are you with me? That in Evergreen, if people are going to come to know God through Jesus Christ, they're going to come to know God through the people that God has sent out into this community. That through us, God has chosen to make himself known. Because in you, Paul is saying, is the hope. Imagine that, that God would would take such a risk that he would put all things and say, hey, you're my plan A. You're the one through which I want my presence to go out into the world so that when you go to the office, you're not going powerless. No, you're going in the presence of Jesus Christ who dwells in you, who is the hope of glory. See, what has Jesus Christ done? He has taken that image, that picture of God saturating all things, and he started to begin that reality with us that his presence now dwells in us and he wants to work through us. 
You know, Jesus said it this way, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To see I and the Father are one. That to see Jesus was to see the fullness of God. Paul described it this way in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. He described the work of Jesus this way. He said in Ephesians 1, verse 22, and he put all things, and notice the language he describes, if you want to throw that one up sometime. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, he put all things, he says, under his feet and gave him, meaning Jesus as head over all things to the church. And then in verse 23, he describes who the church is, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me read that again for you. As he describes who Jesus is, it says that Jesus, he put, God put all things under Jesus' feet. So where are all things right now? If all things are under Jesus' feet, then all things are under the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is now head, as he says, over all things. So all things includes my relationships. It includes my job. It includes life. It includes evergreen. It includes politics. It includes our president. It includes the world. That all things right now are under the feet of Jesus. And he is now head over all things to the church. But here's the important idea. What is the church? He tells us it's Christ's body. And he goes beyond that. He says, it's the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the fullness of Jesus. And through the church, God wants to fill all in all. That see, the only way someone is going to come to know God is if the presence of God, the temple, goes out into the world to represent God. You are God's representative. You are his ambassadors. You need to recognize your own identity. As you go out, you don't represent your viewpoints. I don't know if you know that about ambassadors. Ambassadors don't have opinions. They have commands. The ambassador to Mexico to the United States doesn't go out and say, hey, this is how I want to do things. I don't care what the president, El Presidente, says. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to share my thoughts. I'm going to go in my direction. No, an ambassador is always speaking on behalf of the sovereign to which they represent. And see, what he's saying is that we also are the fullness of God's presence. When we go out, we represent God. How is anyone going to know who God is? Well, they're going to know through the church that wherever we go, we go in the very presence of God, and we bring God's presence to bear on the people that we impact. And see, that's not just about what we do. Listen, that's who we are. And this is where the change has to take place. You know, most of us, I think, are focused so much on what we do and so we feel like we're good Christians, right? And then we're bad Christians, and then we're really bad Christians. And then we go back to church maybe a couple months later, and maybe I'm a good Christian again, and then I'm a bad Christian. Christianity is not so much about what you do. It's about who you are. So what does that look like? You know, when we fail, often we think, okay, I failed. God can't be glorified through my failure. You know, if, if people are going to come to know God, it's because I did it right, because I'm a good Christian. I've got it together. You know I think so often when you see someone that has their life together, I don't know if it's just me, maybe, maybe you don't feel this way, but when I see someone that's got everything together, they've got that Christian life that's all wrapped up, I think, I can't do that. Because, see, the Christian life isn't about what we do, it's about who we are. And see, what Paul said is, when I fail, I glorify God. And when I succeed, I glorify God. See, when I fail, what I say is, God, may your power so work in me, in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That when I fail, you know what we need to do? 
Let's not cover up our failures. We need to uh, allow those failures to sit out there and say, hey, the reason I fail is because I need Jesus. The best thing parents you could do for your kids when you're fighting with each other, because I know I can't do this in that moment. I can't just turn to my wife and say, I need Jesus. I guess I'm the only one. (laughs) But I can say that to my kids. There's something about being a parent where I can put my humility, my pride aside and say, kids, the reason I'm arguing with your mom is because I need Jesus and I just can't admit it to her right now. Are you with me? That glorifies God. In, in, your place, in your office place, if you would just admit to your coworkers, hey, I'm being a jerk right now, I'm not following Jesus, it would glorify Jesus. Because what you're saying to your coworkers is, I need Jesus. See, it's in our failures, we have the opportunity to glorify God, but it's also in our success. I don't know how often I've, I've seen Christians that live this kind of Christian life. I followed a, a pastor for many years as a young believer. He was a very authoritative speaker. And he would say, you know, I get up at 4 a.m. and I work out. And I'm leading about 10 men to Jesus, you know, 7 a.m. They're just repenting, right? This guy was a power leader. And then I have my quiet time, my Bible study. And then I do a a study with some men from like 9 to 10. And this was his life. And I thought, okay, that's the life I've got to live as a pastor. Yeah, it didn't work out. Because if I'm going to follow in his shoes, I'm not really following Jesus. I'm following what he did. But see, if what he did and what we do as Christians, we never say, hey, the reason I'm moral is Jesus. The reason I'm generous is Jesus. Then Jesus doesn't get the credit. And people start to think, I can't, I can't live that life. The purpose of the church is to point people to Jesus. And we do that in our failures. But we also do that in our successes. We give God credit for what he's done. What is the church We are the fullness of him who fills all in all, that it is through the church, it's through us that God wants to display to this community who he is and what he's done. That our generosity isn't about just being obedient to a command to be generous. It's about showing to others the generosity of God. See, our love isn't about just simply being obedient to a command to love others. Rather, it's about allowing the love of God to be demonstrated to others so that others may know the God that we love and serve. See, what has Jesus done? He has put the Spirit within us in such a way that God wants to do through us what he has done to us. You see, God will not ask you to do anything he has not first done for you. That's important. God doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't first done to us so that he might do through us. You know why that's so important? I often have a hard time forgiving. I know, it's surprising, shocked me too. But I can hold on to some bitterness. I can hold on. And and when things don't go the way I want, you know, I'm like, I can, my heart just becomes this place of judgment. I'm the judge, I'm sitting on the throne. And I see how right I am. And I see how wrong that person is. And there's this judgment. There's this desire to, to condemn but you know, if I lived there and if, if I lived all of my life there, I'd be a pretty angry person. But see, this is what the gospel does. It turns things around. That God, while I'm sitting on my throne of judgment, looking at what everybody else has done to me and saying, hey, you're the problem, you're the problem. What God does in his grace is he opens up the big picture of the courtroom. And I look around and I say, wait a minute, he's on the throne. <laughs> I thought I was judging others. He's actually looking at me and he's saying, not guilty. 
He's saying, Jason, if I've called you not guilty and yet you're condemning others, what's the issue? It's not what you do, Jason. You don't believe that you're forgiven. You think you're the judge. You need to get down. You need to repent. You know what repentance means? God, I'm not the judge. I shouldn't be sitting on this throne. If you did not give me what I deserved, but instead you forgave me and adopted me and put the Holy Spirit in me, Lord, I want to set my eyes on what you've done and not what he has done to me. Do you see that? See, that's what inspires us then to say, God, I want to allow what you've done to me to begin to work through me. See, the power of the Christian life is what God is doing in your life today. I don't know if you heard me on that, but the power of the Christian life is what God is doing in your life today, that God is showing himself. He's redeeming you. He's changing you. But are we living in that? Are are we living in that moment-to-moment life where we're honest about what God's doing in our life? The greatest way to share the gospel is just tell people your failures. Tell people the way that God's changing your life. When you're struggling in marriage, best thing you can do when you go to work, hey, how how was your weekend? Well, it wasn't that great. My wife and I, we've been arguing with each other. Now, they may give you some advice, right? Kind of throw out a few ideas. But hopefully, eventually, you can get to a place to say, you know what I really need is I need Jesus. They're probably going to say you're nuts, right? But no, I'm telling you, I need Jesus because, see, Jesus is a far better husband to me than I'm ever to my wife. That he cleansed me, he forgave me, he washed me, he loves me, he sacrifices for me. And if I could just allow that love to captivate my heart, I'd be a better husband. You know, that's genuine. That's not telling people just truths about God. That's telling people about the power of God that's at work in your life. See, what has Jesus done? He has put the Spirit in us so that we may bring his presence to a people that desperately need to know who he is. You know, David Platt uh, said it this way. He said, every person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. That every person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. And what God asks us to do is not to get it all right. What God asks us to do is to keep our eyes on him, to know what our identity is, and then to allow him to work through us. Now, how do we do that? See, how do we do that practically? What is our identity? You know, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 28, just quickly. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the mission that he has sent us out as a church. In Matthew 28, he captures it this way, verse 16. And I love this verse. I'll tell you, this is one of the most encouraging passages in the New Testament in verses 16 and 17. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And notice this in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But notice, but some doubted. Realize, Jesus is there in front of them. He's ascending into heaven. Some are worshipping. What are the rest doing? Doubting. Hey, doubt's okay. This is a safe place to doubt. Doubt goes all the way back to the disciples. The opposite of faith is not doubt. No, the opposite of faith is sight. Faith is to trust in that which you do not fully see. And so he's saying as they're watching this, and listen, in life, that's what life is about in the growing the Christian life. You encounter experiences and you say, wait a minute. How can God love me and this be true at the same time? And as they're standing there seeing Jesus rise Hey, how could this, what's going on? I don't understand what what I'm seeing, that my experience and what I believe are having a conflict with each other. 
And there's a choice. Am I going to trust in my doubts or am I going to begin to worship? And so as they saw something that caught them off guard, they, they had a question. Am I going to trust in, in what I see or am I going to trust in who God is? And so he goes on in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, what is God's mission? This is the joy. God's mission for us is that we have the opportunity to make disciples. Now, I know that may not sound exciting right now, but once you understand what a disciple is, a disciple is one that has the presence of God within them. Because see, in Acts chapter 2, it was only disciples upon which the Holy Spirit fell. Disciples are those who are following Jesus, and because of that, they're becoming like Jesus. And in the end, they're on mission for Jesus. A disciple follows. Because he follows, he's becoming like, and because he's becoming like, he desires to obey. God has called us to make something, what he's called us to make disciples. Now, how do we do that? By bringing God's presence out into all the world. By pointing all the world, not to ourselves, but listen, to point all the world to Jesus, to the greatest story that's ever been told. And then, as it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to develop this later, but when you talk about being baptized into the name of, it's talking about a new identity. That wherever you see a name change in the Bible, something has happened. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. Jacob becomes Israel. Where you see a name change, it's saying that something has happened. Something's been transformed. Something's been changed. Well, for us, what is that? We've been baptized in the name of the Father, which means we are now the children of God. We've been baptized in the name of the Son, which means we are now servants of God. And we've been baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, which means we are now missionaries for God. What's happened when we accept Jesus by that free gift of salvation? The Holy Spirit comes in us, and I'm no longer what I do. The church is no longer defined as an hour on Sunday morning. No, the church is God's people. But see, we have to begin to learn who we are. Who are we? We are God's family. And see, what God wants to do through us, he's already done to us. What's he done? He's adopted you. And who were we before? We were rebels. We wanted nothing to do with God. We trashed his house. You with me? We stole his car. We threw rocks through his window. We tried to ruin his business and his life. We killed his son, and yet... That father did not cast us off. Instead, he adopted us and he made us his children. And he gave us all the things that Jesus Christ himself had. He made us heirs of the kingdom of God. That is the generosity and the love of God. And if God has done that to us to make us children, then we're to go out and treat everyone as family. Because we don't know the ones that God's calling to himself. You with me? God treated you as family before you were so that we might go out and treat others who are not family as family, that we are to love through the love that God's given. And then second, we're baptized in the name of the Son. And as Stephen said today, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that even though we owe God everything, he served us and loved us so that we are now servants who are to be a preview of the coming kingdom of God, that we are to pray, Father, On earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? That we want heaven to show up on earth. 
and his servants, we are a preview of coming attractions. We are the trailer that shows the movie that's one, one day going to come when heaven comes down and all things are made right. We are to be a preview through our service. And then finally, we're not just family, we're not just servants, but we are, our identity is that we are missionaries. We are sent ones. That when Jesus said to us in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then in chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, you'll see that as soon as he says, I will send you, he tells us, and the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will fill you, and the Holy Spirit will guide you. That because the Spirit is in us, we now go out into the world as missionaries. See, this is our identity. The challenge is the church is we need to stop just focusing on what we're doing, and we need to start focusing on who God is and what he's done. Because when we do, we realize this is who I am. I don't need to love my wife because God's given me a command. I need to love my wife and love this community and love the people around me because that's who I am. And sometimes what that means is we just need to admit, God, I need to know your love. God, I need to set my mind on your service. I need to set my eyes on what you've done for me. Would you overwhelm me today with who you are so that I might go out and be a preview of, Lord, where you're going to take us? Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that, um, Lord, you don't see us just according to what we've done. Rather, we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, and we just confessed Father, we need you. Thank you for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he's forgiven us. And because of that, we're now the children of God. But as the children of God, Lord, help us to love others as you have loved us. Lord, help us to live out this vision that you want every man, woman, and child to experience and encounter the presence of God. And you've chosen to do that through us. And Lord, we confess we need you. We cannot do that without you, Father. Would you give us a, a greater vision for our lives than just what we want? Father, would you change our wants so that we may desire what you desire? Father, guide us into this in Jesus' name. Amen.